It's Time for Truth, a ministry of Truth Family Bible Church in Middleton, Idaho. It's Time for Truth exists to glorify God through the edification of His saints in our local church and for the benefit of the church around the world. I'm your host, Pastor Danny Steinmeier, and I am joined in studio with my friend and fellow elder at TFBC, Jim Berg. Greetings, family and friends. Uh, I, I do like to say that phrase. I think it's wonderful. Uh, Pastor, I was told that Pastor Manny, our, our good friend uh, at his church, when when he, uh, I think he says beloved and friends actually is what it, what he what he says, and I really like that. Uh, beloved and friends uh, really speaks to the reality that uh, uh, there are uh, those who are closest in terms of family, in terms of church family, in terms of those who are who are believers, fellow believers, and then there are people. Uh, who are friends uh, who may not be believers or may not be family uh, listening and and uh, and so he just acknowledges that in his sermons and I I've that's kind of stuck with me when that was told to me I thought that was very uh, intentional and very uh, very appropriate and so uh, family and friends those who are listening to us uh, today on the podcast we welcome you and we are gl- glad that you are joining us and continuing to listen to the podcast uh, we are uh, grateful to continue our series through our church distinctives, and we'll continue that today. We took a little bit of a break uh, from that uh, as we made available to everyone the recordings of our elder exam interviews on our practical theology. So uh, great to have uh, Brett Kendall and Kelly Shoemaker join us for the podcast to be able to uh, bring those uh, recordings to you. And so while we're in the middle of our elder examination process, and um, we, we just want to encourage you once again to engage with that, to make sure that you talk to us and give us your feedback. We um, are grateful that many have been listening to those uh, interviews, and we are, are just wanting you to also continue to engage with us and give us your feedback, and also engage with the candidates themselves, invite them over, take them out to lunch, uh, have conversations with them, and so forth, uh, as uh, the leadership of the church is very important for you to know and to be engaged with. Jim, how are you today? Yeah, doing great. I'm actually looking forward to lunch today. We've got Kelly and Brett as a follow-up. And you know, as we go through this podcasting of it, but as we go through this examination, it brings up questions that we have and we've got follow-up for both of them. And I think that that's really important. Now we are in July, so it is definitely hot out and you know, global warming is a big issue as the news tells us. Um, And they're clearly moving their agenda. You talked about that earlier, the off podcast podcast. Um, I posted something on Facebook and was censored and asked to have it removed, and I chose not to. And um, it was simply an, an article that showed, or it was a picture that showed Germany today, and it was temperatures were 24 Celsius or something like that. And then the picture was red because red equals hot. And then they demonstrated that two centuries ago or, or no, two years two, ago, two years ago, yeah. The temperatures were higher by a significant amount, and the picture was green because green equals cool, and so it's just such an agenda. Well, and green was normal what they normally use, but right. the the color shift helped to help promote the narrative of oh, it's definitely hot out there. Right. So I got censored for that, and I'm not. I can't remember it ever being this hot before. I mean, has it ever been this hot? <laughs> Uh, this is as hot as it's ever been on this day in history. Oh, I think so, for sure. Uh, this is a historic, uh, a historic heat wave, for sure. Um, tomorrow, but, it will be hotter than it's ever been on that day tomorrow <laughs> in the history of the world. Probably so. Probably Truly so. amazing. Well, we, we, we do have also uh, guests in studios. We're continuing to talk about our church distinctive of hymns. And uh, uh, so uh, welcoming back to the studio once again is uh, Dad, Deacon, and... Uh, uh, well, Mark and and Mark Steinmeier. So thanks, Dad, for joining us. Thank you for having me. And uh, you have a little uh, quick story on uh, on an article you just uh, looked at in terms of global warming. What, what you you shared that before off uh, offline? Would you uh, share that now for the listeners? Well, last Sunday it was reported that in Death Valley it was the hottest day ever in the history of Death Valley. That no uh, hotter temperature has ever been recorded in Death Valley. And until you read a little bit further, except for <laughs> 2000, or 1913, when the temperature rose to 134 degrees in Death Valley. Um, 
it was only 130. Well, I saw one uh, picture at 131, and then another 132, but it was 134 in 1913. But those temperatures now are coming under scrutiny by our scientists that they might not have been as accurate as they they uh, once thought. That's hilarious. I think the new thermometers are supplied by Pfizer. Right, probably, right. <laughs> well, it just reminds me of Donald and Connell and the, the Lutheran satire, you know. Uh, yeah, I, I'm sure it's, you know, they, they talk about, uh, you know, I know barium doesn't exist. How do you know barium doesn't exist? Well, I've gotten rid of all the samples of barium. You know, it's like, well, how do you know it's the hottest, uh, hottest ever in Death Valley? Well, I got rid of that sample that said it was hotter in 1913. As long as you just discount that, then you can create a new record. You can create create a, a new thing out of nothing. New thermometers rushed new to thermometers. the market by Pfizer. <laughs> that's right. I think that's, that's fantastic. Exactly what we see. <laughs> I know. That's so, good. well, I love today's topic. It's really interesting, and we talk about being censored on Facebook. And Danny, you posted uh, the B article on. Old hymns. I thought that was actually hilarious, and the B has done a great job. Um, there's some great history on that as well. There's three other articles that I found on the B that are fantastic. They've got a lot of uh, uh, punny things regarding uh, church and church music and the sound guy and all that kind of stuff. It's uh, they 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 do have their fingers sometimes on the pulse of some of the different issues and and controversies throughout. Uh, uh, our modern evangelical frame. And, and we just want to uh, step back for a second as we begin today to talk about our, our subject, our church distinctive of of singing the hymns um, as far as our commitment to the way in which we order our worship services. And uh, and it goes beyond the hymns in terms of we, we are also committed to singing psalms, and so we're seeking to improve and to do better in that area as well. Um, but just to step back a little bit, and um, we talked a little bit last time about some of the history and the philosophy uh, of uh, Christian music, of church music especially, and uh, uh, one of the things that's um, really important, uh, music is is valuable, especially in the Christian tradition, for catechizing. Uh, the, the music is actually teaching you something, it, it, it's, and it's meant to. Uh, music is a very powerful medium, both for um, the comfort, the the, the uh, affections, and the soul, the, the the emotions for sure. But it's also a, a an important element of worshiping with our mind, and and so the idea of memorizing sound doctrine, the idea of of contemplating the divine, uh, of putting those things together are, are so important. And so uh, doctrinal things. Um, truth claims, and uh, even just love for God. Those are wonderful elements of Christian music. And church music, of course, has evolved. We won't rehash a lot of the things we talked about before, but really prior to the Reformation, there was a, a view in the church at the time about the role of music, and and actually uh, the, the thoughts of, of some were that uh, melody and those things were, were more sensual, and so a lot of that had been removed for the sake of what became known as chants, or we're familiar with Gregorian chants, and, uh, and and a lot of the music was removed from the common people, um, as a lot of things in the church were. Uh, sometimes even elements uh, related to communion. Sometimes communion was distant. It was uh, practiced by a few. It was practiced once a year. Different things like that. A lot of things were removed from the everyday, or every week, shall we say, uh, life of the body. And so uh, the Reformation, though, was a, a watershed moment in the history of the Church, which we acknowledge that it was a Reformation doctrinally. It was, it was something that um, really overthrew a lot of the Roman Catholic dominance and, and, and began a, a real love and a care for the common man and the dignity of, of humanity and, and the dignity of, of the individual. And with that came also a, a musical um, reformation as well. And uh, another key element to that is that a lot of the music at that time were written by pastors and written by theologians. And so a lot of the music uh, was produced out of a love of doctrine, a love for the Scripture by men, especially who were well-trained and well-studied in uh, the, the things of God. And so that was also very much reflected in the music. Uh, you have people like Martin Luther, just a prolific hymn writer, and uh, even one who wrote about the philosophy of, of church music. 
And, and then so from there, you, we begin to have one of the most rich Christian music traditions um, ever ever known. And uh, there was an explosion of wonderful... Of course, at the time, they were all new, right? Uh, all, all songs were new at some point. Wow, what a, what a, what a gotcha moment there. But, uh, but th- that was certainly the case, and there was a development uh, of Christian hymn, uh, hymnody uh, following the Reformation. Uh, really, though, in the, we've certainly noticed both practically as we still see some of these songs in our hymnal, uh, but during the 1800s, uh, there really was a shift, and that uh, that really came from the Second Great Awakening, Charles Finney being one of the, the primary figures with that. And the outflow of the Second Great Awakening um, was, uh, along with Darwinism and Pentecostalism, those three elements uh, were sort of the storm that changed the way Christianity viewed itself, even, as well as the, it had an effect on music. And so what you see in a lot of the hymns written during that period of time is a shift in away from a, a doctrinal, historical, and um, an intellectual, a very mind-driven um, uh, music. Uh, you, you have a, a lot of a shifting of the style of the music and even in the words themselves to a more personalized, uh, pietistic, emotive uh, way of of speaking and singing, and a lot of that was Darwin's uh, Darwinism's uh, movement, uh, or, or so, so I say, marginalizing Christianity because of its uh, seeing Christianity as being uh, anti-intellectual, and a lot of Christians sort of. Uh, coward in fear, a lot of retreat uh, away from the rigor of uh, of academic um, discussion and debate. Um, just evolution became just exploded, and the church didn't have a lot of good answers for it. And so, when you ask me how I know he lives, uh, well, he lives within my heart. We talked about that a little bit last time, which is which is just very. It's just well, it doesn't really matter if it's technically historically true. It's true to me. It's true in my heart. And I think it was actually true in history, but I, I really don't want to speak about that or, or really make that an issue because now we get into arguments, et cetera, et cetera. And what happened is that really, though, affected the music and it became very personalized, individualized, and uh, both in the words, but also it, the, the music fits uh, a lot of those words. And so um, we've, we do find a lot of challenges in the hymns written during that period of time. Of course, not exclusively, just like almost in every era but there certainly was a major uh, uh, shift during that period of time. And so uh, really through the 1800s and um, even into the, some of the 1900s, uh, there is some of this uh, um, different style, a, a less reformational approach to uh, hymnody. And then uh, we talked last time also about the impact of even what the recent movie identified of the Jesus Revolution, uh, this was really in the in the following the the hippie movement in the in the 60s the 70s really was this revolution where uh, where Christian music church music even became revolutionized to have a, a an appeal a hook for the sake of evangelism music was uh, in the church was seen as ne- being needed to appeal to the unchurched and to those all those visitors, all of these people that you were evangelizing. So you want them to like your music. And it actually became very uh, attractional in that, uh, in that particular way. And so in that shift, you, again, you have a man-centered approach there. And what you win them with is what you win them to. And so this also le- leads to, well, now you've got a lot of people who are identifying um, with Christ in the church. Y- you've, y- if you've won them through uh, a um, entertaining, uh, likable, contemporary, even common style of that day, then if you're going to keep them there, then you have to continue to be pleasing and, and entertaining of their uh, of their desires. And so that has really that led to a lot of the the pragmatic consumerism, uh, entertainment oriented approach to a lot of the church growth. That church growth movement was one of the things that came during this time, the 70s and 80s especially, uh, was uh, all these church growth books started coming out, uh, kind of if you build the parking lot, the people will come. Uh, you, you have to do all these things in order to be attractive, uh, attractive to people. And the music was, of course, uh, no exception to that. And, and what happened was, is you had a shift 
from the way in which uh, the church saw the the corporate nature of singing, the 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 simple leadership, which was not a show in itself, which was not a draw in itself. The draw was the reality that God's people were singing together. It, that shifted to where now you have a production on stage. Now you have a, a worship team. Uh, another way to get women involved in leadership was to put them on stage and and help them to lead the singing and lead the music. Uh, there was absolutely an egalitarian sense to that. You also just had this uh, this band look and feel. It just had a very contemporary, cool, um, modern look and feel to uh, worship in this period of time. You also, of course, had the growth uh, and the improvements of amplification. Um, the speakers and microphones and all the opportunities and options that you have with that really helped to feed that um, that style and that approach to music. Uh, and, and again, you also, uh, especially during this period of time, you also have a uh, significant growth of the um, charismatic Pentecostal movement, and they had a huge effect on music and on the approach to worship. Uh, so very much an emotional, experiential uh, type of approach. And then you, you still also maintain very much a personal individual and um, uh, effect and desire for the view, for the way in which we viewed the church and viewed the gathering of the church. Even though the church was gathered, it was still a very me and Jesus. It was very much a, I'm going to have a private worship experience. And so that's that's where we have some of the concerns over all of the uh, close your eyes, lift your hands, and kind of leave your body, leave your leave the people around you, and have your own private uh, emotive uh, experience uh, with with God there. And so that was th- those were intentional. It was done by the music. The the music uh, created the effect that was desired. Um, and so these are a lot of the things that were happening uh, during that time, and we and we uh, over the course of history, of course, uh, getting getting to even to modern times. And we'll talk about our current musical context, perhaps in a bit. Uh, we might have to have another podcast to talk a little bit more about um, what is what what is currently happening and how, how we view some of the current things. Um, but the one thing we we just kind of popped the top on last time was to just get into a little bit of this idea of pop culture, and. Uh, what it is, um, where it came from, and how does the church, or how has the church gotten in the stream, uh, or maybe it's a torrent, maybe it's a a giant river uh, of pop culture, and the effects that that's had. And so uh, uh, we're glad to have uh, Dad back. One of the things that we've, uh, Jim and I have talked about and appreciated, is we want to have a sense also in our church of a respect for our elders, a respect for um, our um, uh, respect for older saints who have uh, wisdom and have lived through much of these times. Uh, I'm certainly not able to say that I lived through the '60s and '70s. Uh, uh, th- there are things that I, I certainly wasn't around for, but yet uh, one of the advantages that Dad Dad has and, and he brings to the table um, is the advantage of of congratulations, Dad, of being older, <laughs> and uh, and having lived as as a Christian, being raised in a Christian home, having a grandfather who was a, a, a pastor, um, having been in the church his whole life, um, b- being born in the 1950s, and now having the opportunity to uh, help us think through these things. And this has been a passion of yours, of course, for uh, as, as long as I can remember, and uh, w- we think it's valuable for him to be able to add uh, some of the some of his thoughts, his research, some of his care about this topic. So, uh, Dad, maybe uh, if you want to kind of start us off, uh, talk a little bit about um, pop culture and uh, kind of again, where does that come from, and uh, how how should we understand it? Well, pop culture really uh, th- there's such a thing as popular culture. But this notion of pop culture is a little bit different and really had its uh, roots at the end of World War II uh, when the government really was concerned that uh, we were a wartime economy and we needed to convert over to a peacetime peacetime economy. Um, But if we didn't have consuming going on 
and production, we were going to quickly uh, go back into a depression. And so it was actually a government program that actually worked with businesses to come up with this notion of commercialism or pop culture. And um, it was the, the definition of it really is that uh, it is a culture that is produced by marketers to stimulate production and consumption. Uh, and that was really a, a program. Uh, so through, um, through the 1950s and in the 1960s, it was uh, really something that was encouraged. Uh, you couldn't get away from it. Uh, that so how, how did it, they do that? Well, primarily through um, uh, advertising. So, so media really is one of, the, um, one of the facilitators of pop culture because now you have access to a, uh, the broad swath of the country. You, you can actually influence the whole group because you have access now through uh, the medium of, of and, radio and, and TV. Yeah, and we've seen this even recently. So in, if you're not familiar with Mark, what Mark's talking about, in terms of that level of history and what it was happening, we've seen this in pharmaceuticals. So in our age, pharmaceuticals weren't allowed to advertise until maybe 20 years ago, right? I think it was George Bush, George W. that allowed that. And you can see the impact of that on hmm. everything that you do in terms of media. It's everywhere. So it's, it's interesting. Go ahead. So, um, it, it, it really pushed that which was new, that which was fresh. Uh, it, it developed a... Even if it wasn't. That's correct. <laughs> and most of it wasn't. Um, and it developed a discontentment. Uh, that was really the purpose of it, that you needed the new, you needed the fresh, uh, you needed the latest and greatest. And uh, that uh, just became part of our culture. Um and through the 50s and 60s, the church actively resisted that. Uh, we did not want to, churches did not want to get into the commercialism, and they, they actively uh, resisted that. But in the 70s, and particularly, I think, uh, coinciding with the Jesus Revolution. Well, it, they, they, get to, they got to the youth. Yes, yes. And uh, it was brought into the church, and the church has had a very difficult time in resisting that since the 1970s, that um, we have to incorporate that which is good or new and fresh uh, and uh, the latest and the greatest. And I don't think that we um, understand how deeply that has impacted us and been ingrained into our very uh, souls, the idea that uh, we need to have that which is new. Um, we need to have the latest and greatest. Um, and if we aren't doing that, we're going backwards. Uh, some people have taken that to extreme in our, uh, our culture with businesses. They'll just uh, overturn their businesses just for the sake of change. change. Yeah. And th that's really what's been ingrained into our, our minds is that uh, change and is good. And it, not only good, but it is uh, unavoidable. It is necessary. Uh, you can't stop it. Um, and so that, that's been ingrained to us and unfortunately has been um, in, embraced by the church. A lot of our young people don't even know of a culture where that wasn't the driving theme uh, that we, um, you know, we were, once were a time in a church where we were trying not to get caught up into the methods and the methodology of the world, but to stay separate and to stay um, unique or um, distinct from the world rather than being caught up into its latest methods and methodologies. Yeah, a sense of grounding. And one of the challenges, and we, we can understand this just economically as families, right? That if you're constantly seeking to consume <clears throat> the idea of, <clears throat> pardon me, the idea of saving, uh, you, you can end up um, really uh, ruining your own family, your own family economics, 
uh, when you're always trying to keep up with the Joneses, when you are discontented, I, I think of this idea of of um, sometimes with, with some ladies especially, and certainly guys can too. You know what? It's just, I just feel like it's time to go shopping. <laughs> and so it, it becomes a thing where uh, let's go shop. What, are we going to actually buy something because there's something we need? No, I just want to go look and I want to see if there's something I want to buy. And there, there's a there's a mentality there. And there's and similar, interestingly, there's this element of discontentment that is um, that is fostered there, and that can have an effect on the church where you're discontent with the way things are, especially when this is the idea of of the pop, right? When everyone else around you is consuming, you're not keeping up with the Joneses, pal. Right. You're a you're one of those oldie churches. You're a fundy church. Listen, that leads to addiction. The, the shopping, oh, yeah. people are addicted mm. to the rush that they get in shopping. Look at hoarding and tell me about credit card debt today. Right, right, totally. Well, I think one of the things we listened to a, um, a podcast or a little video uh, on the addictive nature of pop culture. Totally. Totally agree. It's very addictive, and then you talk, talk, start talking but about people. Will, people don't believe you though, when you say that, right? Because you don't understand that they're they've been addicted. Well, and certainly not me, right? That that, that becomes that that becomes one of the things where um, it's out. It's a pro- problem out there, but I'm not susceptible to that, right? Um, but then you talk about what are the characteristics then of addiction. And um, I think one of the unfortunate characteristics is a disdain for not changing, uh, a disdain for the old, hmm. um, a dislike or a, 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 um, more of a, a desire. Well, it, it corresponds to the desire for something fresh and new. That then corresponds to a lack of desire for that which is is that what you have? Old, yeah, you're just, it's justification old. of your position, yeah. right? You're, you're yeah. justifying, we have to change because change is inevitable. Yeah. Well, and then with pop culture and technology, and this is actually even gets into my lifetime too, I believe it was Bo Jackson, who was the f- the, the first, at least in terms of the sports world, the, the celebrity endorsement also became a major element of moving products and moving culture. Uh, when... Uh, whether it was Joe Namath, he probably would have been maybe one of the earlier ones in the football realm. Um, but I, I think of sports because I, I had a lot of more connection with sports. But uh, you had these these celebrity endorsements. When you get someone who you really like or you really think is smart or or they have a big name, and that's the one that they wear. That's the one that they choose. Uh, th- those are those are elements of culture of pop culture that is the attempt of marketers to move you. And the reality is it works. Right. The, the reality is it's a boom. It, it hap- They use it because it's actually influential. It's interesting with technology, you know, being in semiconductor technology, the, the speed of semiconductor and the things that it's impacted was dramatic. I mean, the price of TVs, you know, every 18 months it cuts in half the price and the technology doubles. That's called Moore's Law. And so that was my whole career. And in watching all of technology, the interesting thing is the most successful products in terms of producing were based on simplicity. Hmm. And so you just you just think about the phones of Motorola and Nokia, and then the iPhone comes out. And the simplicity of using that with your touch. And so what's interesting is when used correctly, productivity is good. When used incorrectly, I think you're right, Mark, it creates chaos and justification for discontentment. Yeah, we certainly there certainly is an economic and, and productivity and invention and creation creativity. There, there's a number of those things that we're not poo pooing here, but there's right. a there's a there is though a um, in living within that. How is it that Christians have self control? How is it that the church does not just simply follow the world and just simply follow the economics? But to but to actually have something grounded. And so when we talk about being reformed, or we talk about a love for the Reformation, which is some of the previous podcasts that we've talked about, we're, we're actually saying no. We're actually looking backwards to a time that was so. Which at the time they had to produce a lot of new material, but the reality is, is that we're still seeking to look back to something that we're holding that we hold on to, and uh, we'll get into the concept and the idea of of new and writing new music and so forth. And I think sometimes the the thought is, Dad, that. 
um, well, that you're just against everything new and that you're against writing new music just um, out of hand. Like new music equals bad music. And that's, that's not our position. And that's not the way we would actually say that there, there is a place for new music, but we'll talk about kind of what we think that place is and how we, uh, and the reality is actually to write good music, it's more, it's more difficult than you think. <laughs> but, but the consumerism and the product of pop culture today, actually, see, one of the things you could probably talk to as well, Jim, is when you, when you try to make something new and you've have a source of cheap labor like China and you can produce what, what's the, one of the problems with Chinese made materials, Balls apart. they're junk, right? Right. And so what you do is you, uh, it, it, when you get involved in this pop culture and this consumerism and you aren't grounded with solid foundations, a lot of what you produce is actually pretty cheap. And, uh, and that's certainly what we saw that a lot, especially in the eighties and nineties with a lot of even the music, so much of the music, man, it was cheap. Yeah, and when very we talk shallow, about yeah, when you talk about the iPhone being simple, it doesn't mean that it's not de deep. There was an amazing new depth right. that was brought to that 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 was required in order for it to happen. And so, simplicity doesn't equal cheap, and, and it, it, there's actually elegance in it, but it requires an enormous amount of hard work. And I think that's the difference: is you've got good quality theological. And I call it simple, meaning in the way that you're able to internalize it and Correct. consume it, because that's the design. That's God's design for us. And versus, you know, you need five band members and a smoke machine and, you know, everyone else just sits there and, and disconnects. Well, and when we talk about music, right, there's a, there is going to be the challenge of blending uh, the, the robust, the complex as well as the idea of simple, because you, you need to be able, it needs to be able to be consumable by, by non-musician people. And right. so that, those are uh, interesting and additional conversations to be had. But uh, let's continue uh, down this road. Let's talk a little bit more about this um, uh, pop culture. Uh, there, there's a mentality and there's a pressure. Um, and I, I want to touch on a little bit too, Dad, the idea of this pressure to be popular and this pressure to be accepted. Maybe can you talk a little bit about the the issues related with pop culture and that um, and that element of it? Well, um, there's there certainly is that that pressure. Um, and you have I'm, I know that there is that 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 pressure to conform. It's a very difficult thing to resist uh, when um the people around you uh, are all listening to a cer certain type of, of music for example or consuming a, a product it becomes very difficult to to resist and um there's well I, well I think one of the challenges of that because we're, we're dealing with the interplay of of practice and theology. So one of the challenges is uh, I, we were just I was just listening to a podcast on the way over here uh, talking about the problem of or, or what's missing in evangelicalism's courage. The, the the courage is is actually to resist and the courage is to stand for something true. Uh, the, the the subject matter was a guy made a statement on online that just basically gave very ordinary, normal statement about homosexuality, a traditional view from the Bible, and, and yet um, there were so many people who um, uh, did not stand and did not have courage to actually resist when this guy was uh, uh, disciplined and fired from his university position in Great Britain. And and part of the part of the issue is is that when you are uh, comfortable, addicted, etc., to the pop culture idea, and even when it comes to music, there is there is a pressure to continue to move in that direction because it's so popular, and uh, and it becomes something that that drives you to move and to change and to get a, and to get along with the crowd. Um, and, and, and to really now, give now, in. Yeah, you're getting into how does um, pop culture related to music affect our theology? Certainly, <clears throat> part of that is what and, I'm concerned with. Yeah, and the idea with that is that um, 
if you become accustomed to to uh, accepting the fresh and the new and and the popular, it becomes very difficult to resist um, other areas uh, when that comes in too. That there is actually a number of ways in which um, music will affect doctrine um, you know, uh, by bad words um, or bad theology in the music itself. That certainly is a concern. Even to this day with modern contemporary music, um, there is better theology in the modern uh, in contemporary music, but there's also a lot of contemporary music that has bad theology. And uh, so that's one way that uh, uh, bad theology can creep into the church through music. But I think one of the more subtle ways and the one, one of the more difficult ways to resist is the whole notion, if you're always wanting the new and the fresh, it becomes very difficult to, to resist that in other areas as well, and particularly uh, doctrine. Well, and we do and see we this. And we see that. <laughs> we see that in the church. There, There's no debate, or there's no argument on that. Uh, well, not our church. Not our church. We, we would never move our our foundational doctrinal positions said every college university and church ever right right that, that, oh no no these are our bedrock principles that we would we would not compromise with that and yet how in the world do you then look and see denomination after denomination uh, college after college and church after church going uh biting uh biting the dust when it comes to modern theology and corrupted uh doctrines and, and, and seeing almost a, an impossibility in resisting it well because well, they, they've been conditioned to and it. to me it's a build out of what you talked about with consumerism now it gives the christian believer the menu of choices to find whatever he wants the bible to say mm-hmm. he can well, find a church too, to too. fulfill that requirement and that's the danger i think that's the real danger is now you're, 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 instead of growing yourself, instead of being grown in God's word, you're seeking to consumerize it and be numbed by what you already believe. Your presuppositions essentially come in. Christianity is turned into a consumer sport. Right. Right, where, where you are simply uh, getting your flavor and your brand uh, that you prefer. I mean, I prefer Nikes, and I, the other person prefers Adidas, and the next person prefers Converse, and whatever else. And yet, uh, and so each each church provides you uh, something for you, right? Um, something that you are after, and uh, and whether it's or you know, it's the children's ministry over here, or it's the singles ministry over here, or whatever, and everything becomes very consumerized. And it even goes, uh, of course, it comes into uh, the worship uh, uh, context as well. Yeah, and along with that, along with that bad theology, Mark, you lose good theology. So you lose words like Ebenezer and what it means and the depth of that word. And most people wouldn't even understand what that means today, right? And so... Oh, that's that's definitely one of the the results of pop culture. Right. You you, you get bad and you lose good. And you, you push out the good. Right. You push out the old. Right. Well, that's an interesting one in itself there, the idea of, um, and, and look, this is a challenge too. We all have a more modern translation of our Bibles, and some of the older hymns, of course, they were written in the context of an older translation of the English. So uh, we, it's not, it's not the, the issue that thou shalt not have anything new or not have anything that's modern, a little bit more easy to understand. But what you do see is you do see a flow, and you do see, at times, culture dumbing down language, and we absolutely don't can't deny that. Uh, what you're pointing out there, Jim, is the reality that we're losing words. Our, our vocabulary is shrinking, and the vocabulary of Scripture is very robust. And one of the ways that we see the vocabulary of Scripture uh, dying out and not being utilized and instead, see, we want to talk about the idea of relationship. Well, that word relationship isn't in the Bible. Now, it's, we, don't, we understand the concept, but the reality of, of words that the Scripture actually uses, or the ideas that the Scripture really uh, promotes doctrinally, uh, whether it's Trinity and so forth, um, those things are, need to be uh, promoted, and, and, and they have to be sung. And again, music is one of those ways that we teach. 
Right. And that's my point is if we're going to sing, come thou fount of every blessing, know where that word Ebenezer came from. Go look in first Samuel and study it for yourself and understand the beauty of what it represents. Yeah. Not Ebenezer Scrooge. <laughs> right, right, right. That's the, <laughs> no, I mean that, that an important that, distinction to me. That's, <laughs> um, and, and I, th- another element of pop culture and especially as you see the marriage between, uh, the government um, the elites and business. Um, one of the things that I, I've certainly um, been dwelling upon and thinking about is the the recognition of of the those who control what is produced. We've talked a little bit about Big Eva. Big Eva, it, it, one of the elements of Big Eva, it's the recognition that there are elites within the broader evangelical world, uh, and usually national, but also international, uh, that really involve the control of, of communication, especially in terms of like publishing houses, uh, as well as in universities and um, Christian institutions. And um, what, what happens is, is that um, you end up, it, it, this includes the contemporary Christian music world as well. Uh, we understand this in terms of the radio. Well, there's certain things that are put on the radio, and there are certain things that aren't put on the radio. Well, guess what? You start to uh, be shaped by what you are fed and what you're familiar with and what's available to you. And um, and to me, I think I think China is actually an interesting illustration of this. Uh, China is, of course, communistic, but the the change in China was, uh, and Jim could probably even talk about this even more than I can. But one of the great changes in China was their move towards a capitalistic. Uh, uh, pursuit. They're 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 still communistic, but they control um, the economy and they and they control what is uh, available and what is produced. And one of the concerns that I even have, uh, even just recently illustrated by this woman that that spoke before Congress about the the desire of uh, of those controlling our environmental movement into getting rid of gas stoves. Perhaps you've heard of this. And uh, she was being questioned by a congressman, and I really appreciated his, his approach. And uh, her one answer, though, was, we are not telling people uh, what, they're, what they are to do in terms of their choices. Uh, we're not telling them that they have to get rid of uh, and convert from a gas stove to an electric stove. Um, and, and the guy interrupted her and, and said, no, what you're doing, though, is you are going to get rid of, you're going to make extinct gas stoves so that when people actually come to buy a stove of their free choice, they chose an electric. Why? Because what was produced and what was available was controlled. And so people don't see that they're not, that they're actually not free. If you don't have the freedom to make these choices or to have these things available to you, what happens is, is you're not free, you're managed. Uh, the, so China is a very managed economy, and the U.S. is moving in the China model. Oh, it's, no, we are. We are. Danny, we course. are far more than you would ever know. I mean, PG&E invests in solar panels because they're being incentivized by who? By us. It's our money that's being taxed and, and pumped in both federal and state into that agenda. And it is an agenda. Now we're moving into economics, which I think is a great discussion. Absolutely, but and I want to I want to point out as well that popular culture, as when you're talking about the its impetus, it was economic, right? And the and one of the things that we need to realize is that a lot of what is produced and a lot of what we have access to um, is because of those in the lever that, that manage the levers of power that identify for you what it is you, they want you to listen to. So while you might be, oh, I like this music. Well, you know why you like that music? It's because that's the music that you've been given. It's because that's the music that's been produced. And I, I've warned you guys about social media, that everything that they do is moving you towards that's right. their agenda. And even in contemporary music, even in contemporary Christian music. So you could, on Pandora or on any of these, Spotify, you could, you could here's what I like. I like old hymns. If you continue to listen to that, they are eventually going to bring you more and more bad hymns and then contemporary music. It's just, it's the nature of the algorithm. Does that make sense? They Absolutely. are truly moving you. And I can't stress this enough, the danger of being aware of what social media is doing to you. And you, you're pointing this out 
that the agenda of contemporary music isn't a variety. No. It's actually moving you towards what they want. Which is also a business. Right. So it is moving you to what they want you to buy. Right. They're moving you to what you they want you to sing in church. Which includes a theology, which includes how do I mash this out? How do I produce this for everybody? Which is very egalitarianism. It's this idea of it's available to everyone and it has nothing to do with worshiping God. But it's managed. Right. Right. That's the issue. It's right. managed. And so what, and, and then people don't even realize it. And, and just like you have, uh, you know, Pfizer uh, making new thermometers, right. uh, you do have, look, you've got big. Say it, uh, Sovereign Grace. Well, that's one of them, right? Say it. Which is, which by the way, is charismatic. Right. Okay. It's charismatic. And, and if you go to their site, they'll identify they are continuationists. Um, music does come from somewhere. Now, of course, you can always give some measure of criticism to the life or the doctrine of, of somebody who wrote a good song, right? Uh, but, the, but the reality is, is that music isn't produced in a vacuum. That's, a lot of it is, is produced for effect. It's produced for a purpose. And if, even if that purpose is, um, and a lot of that purpose today, I would argue, is economic because it's part of the pop culture stream. And it's moving you, and it's always moving you to... Hey, the cool kids, the cool church down the road is singing these songs. Hey, the cool, uh, even the even the cool conservative kids are singing these songs. Um, if we're going to be with those guys, if we're going to be, you know, Mac, you know, MacArthur's church sings that, that sings that song. Well, then therefore we should sing that song. I, again, it's a movement, and I'm telling you, it's just, it, this moves in other directions as well. Oh, and it's uh, huge. I, I'll hit on China real quick. You talked about it. Their their game is not a ten year game. It's not a 50-year game. They're playing hundreds of years. And, and so they are intentionally moving their capitalistic economy towards very strategic objectives, which are all evil. And this goes into Bible translations, Jim. Right. Look, there were some, there were some fundamentalists who decried the idea of modern Bible translations. And they were partly wrong, but they were partly, partly right. You have the proliferation of this version and that version. This version and that version, and, and it's look, always new and improved. It, it's yes, right, and and even we're not going to allow NIV in the new Christian nation. Hey, the new American Standard <laughs> is where it stops. Okay, look, ninety-five, right? <laughs> exactly. The the issue. Uh, that's what I mean by right and wrong. It's one of the challenges that we we just have to acknowledge and we have to face because we're all in some ways in the stream, and sometimes we don't even know it. Right. The reality is. So, for instance, I, I just was. Um, a year ago or approximately, I visited a, another church and um, they they were in the process of just this entire switch over to literally the brand new, hot off the press. I mean, the paper was still warm. They move, were moving to the legacy standard version. Right. Uh, this is not a commentary about the, the, the quality of the translation. Okay. I think there's positive elements to it, whatever. But what I noticed was, wow, that was fast. You just went from the ESV to the a legacy overnight because uh, a group of people that you that you like did did that. Now you, you might have other good reasons for that. I, I get that, but my what I noticed was how fast it was. It just went switch over immediate, and and it's one of those things that um, it, look the the legacy. Um, however much there is a a purpose. In all the Bible translation, if there's a there is a, per, a good noble purpose, we want to do a good job handling the Word of God in English. Okay, everybody has a noble one. But did they? And there's also a major economic factor. This is we're we're not going to be. Um, this is not about not making money. Okay, and there is there is a lot of that. There's marketing involved. There's all of this, and of course they wanted to be successful. We're not against profit. But you have to recognize that when you understand that so much of this is consume, 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 buy, 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 new, new, new. There, look, we're not stopping at legacy. Let's just be clear. We're not stopping at legacy. They're going to continue to go and go and go, and they'll be new and different. And there's all, everybody's going to have their reasons. And all the, and I'm the saying is, is the reality <clears throat> is there's a flow of all of this, and music is one of them. Right. <clears throat> and the thing of it is, it's marketed as uh, new and improved. It is. And they aren't. They're just different. Mm. Um, and because the Bible is too 
too um, robust to actually get into one English version. So you can always be in supposedly improving it, but we're, we're not improving them. We're just changing them. They're, it's just different. And it's, and it's, and it's, and if it's not slight, then you've got a major problem, right? Uh, if it's major. Yeah. I think there's good and bad, right? I, I, yeah. Again, I think the, the NASB 2020, I would say is moving bad. It's moving right. in the wrong yeah. direction where right. legacy, I would say. Oh, there, there I, are bad translations. That's my point is, is so <clears throat> legacy, it, it could be purposeful and it could be good. Yes. We just don't know yet. Like, and that's the whole point of, of being, take your time with it. Make sure that yeah. you've studied it and that you understand why. And not necessarily bad to change. It's just that you do it very carefully. And perhaps we would. The reality is, I, just what you said there, Jim, I want to confirm that um, as well, of, hey, take that slowly and right. be careful with it. Um, because the, you're also, you're in your methodology and in your movement, you're also getting people used to the movement. And, and you're also ripping out from underneath them uh, traditions and familiarity. One of the very negative elements is, when we memorize scripture, we don't memorize the same scripture anymore. It right. doesn't. It doesn't come out the same. Uh, that is one of the challenges of going away from the King James, and I, I, I have a, an appreciation for it. I also have a measure of uh, bothered by it because so much of, and I think the reason why you do need a modern translation um, is because it's a, it's too much of a foreign language. Uh, we, we saw we went to a King James uh, church growing up. And half the sermon was the pastor having to pull out his English dictionary to translate the King James. And uh, so it's, it's, it's not, again, it's not about thou shalt not do anything new. It is about, hey, being careful and wise about what we're doing and why we're doing it and how what we're doing is perhaps participating in something bigger in, than, than just that simple change. And I would say it, it can breed discontentment. You, you can literally yes. do your congregation a disservice by continually changing and adapting. And we've seen this with Seeker Sensitive. We've seen this with Rick Warren's church. We've seen it with, you know, it's constantly adapting and there's never any true depth. It's all shallow and really discontentment. You, I, you're attracting <clears throat> new audiences. I think that gets us to a, a subject that's related to our church. And that is the fact that <clears throat> we're intergenerational or multi-generational. Right. Right. Um, and if we want to continue that, we can't, um, it, it's difficult to do that with pop culture because what um, I like is not going to be what my children like um, or my parents like. And it's going and we've seen this in the church that churches are really marketed towards um, market segments or, or, uh, um, age targeted groups. demographics. Tar that's the word I'm sorry, targeted demographics. Um, and I don't think church was meant to, to be that. I think one of the wonderful things that we have at Truth Family Bible Church, it, it, the great privilege we have is the younger people uh, worshiping side by side by older generation. And we're not going to be able to continue that if um, we're fostering the notion that <clears throat> my music is good. Um, and I want to listen to, to my music now, but my kids' music, you were teaching your children that uh, um, the same thing. So when they come up, now your music is gone. It's passe. Right. And uh, so you have this fracturing of the church. And we've seen that over the last 50 years. Um, it used to be when I was a child, I went to church with my parents and my grandparents. And it was a wonderful thing that's almost disappeared mm. from our <clears throat> culture. And I don't think that's a healthy thing for the church. Yeah, and I think teaching that contentment is so important, teaching the <clears throat> Lordship of Christ. And, and by having that as the main, the things that really matter, it brings people into this understanding of, you know, church isn't necessarily about me. I'm there to worship the Lord. And with other people. Right. Right. Yeah. And I, th I think that's a, uh, such an important element there because... Um, the, the church establishing for itself really its own standard. And this is one of the values in some measure of somewhere of what some denominations have done, uh, especially more reformed. And I think there's a value there as I see even more in it where they've, they, ch they've chosen, this is the, this is the hymn book, or this is the Psalter. 
that our denomination uses and that everyone in our denomination is going to be using the same thing. There's a there's some value there because you could go from church to church even and find some of those uh, those same things where it's not constantly a moving target where you could get one thing with you know, the name out front, but you get one thing with this church and a whole other thing in another church. There is a measure of an agreement, even on a larger scale, that uh, isn't just exclusively local church, but also more of a denominational emphasis. And what I what I like about that is they've, again, similar to what we're after, is the idea of identifying this is the standard that we are, are seeking to uphold and that we're going to stick to. And, um, and, and it's not, again, that, well, if it was new, it's bad. No, but we've said we're not just going to simply get in the stream with everybody else in the in the popular culture and seeing the popular music. Right. We're actually going to hold to, hey, this is this is the standard that we are going to hold on to, and we're going to we're going to stick with it, and we're not going to be moved off of that. And there's a, there is a strengthening effect of that because you are actually having to grow in your defense mechanism because you have to defend yourself against the against the flow and against the attacks and against the criticism that's always wanting to get you to move and to change. Um, so those are really uh, important muscles to actually build. And that's and, and that's one of the things that we're talking about here. We're wanting our listeners to understand one of the reasons for standing on older hymns and older standards uh, is the practice of standing firm against other things that are going to come against you uh, whether it's uh, doctrinal, cultural, et cetera, they're going to want to move you in and mold and to press you into their mold. Right. Um, th- those are important things. So I mean, not... many churches, the pastor is an elite position or being a missionary is an elite position. And our objective is everyone is created individually before God and all of them are valuable in their role. So that's the contentment of the way that God has designed you. And so part of that is what we want to encourage our people to embrace um, is to embrace our, our church's culture and embrace our uh, our church's music. And it might be, well, I like the other church music, uh, other music of other churches. Well, um, that may be so, but the reality is, is this is our church. Right. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, localism. I, I did hear something that's very interesting. I just want to point this out because we're talking also about this pop culture element. I, I was listening to somebody, it was a secular um, conversation, and it was this uh, woman uh, who was on, on NPR. I, I wasn't listening to NPR, but uh, she is employed by NPR and a contributor. And the conversation, uh, side conversation came up, and they were talking about music. And uh, she was talking about how her different thoughts about music, and she brought up Taylor Swift. Now, Taylor Swift is a juggernaut of pop culture, or pop music. Uh, it's incredible uh, the prices that are charged for her concerts, the reality that they sell out within seconds. People uh, lose their minds. Uh, uh, <laughs> I think some might even be losing their lives over Taylor Swift concert tickets and all the different stuff. And what was interesting about this conversation was this lady commented how Taylor Swift can't sing and Taylor Swift can't dance. But man, she can write a hook. And what they're referring to is there is some phrase or some line, some some little part of her song that is extremely effective. And it is beca- and, and she becomes, even though according to uh, someone who is um, knowledgeable musically, right? She, she says, Taylor Swift can't sing and can't dance. But how is she so popular? Um, and, and as I thought about it and, and reflected on it, um, the same thing happens in the church and the same thing can happen with us. What happens is, is, well, it might not be that great of a song. It might have a pretty lousy tune, but man, there's a great hook in it. And what happens is, is people find it very, uh, appealing and they say, and then they end up liking it. And all these millions and millions of people like Taylor Swift even though it's pretty crummy music. Well, the same thing happens in Christian music too. And what happens is, is that some people are good at writing hooks. And there's a lot of people, a lot of Christians who get caught up in that, in that Taylor Swift kind of movement to where they don't even realize you've been sucked in uh, and, and you've, and you've bitten the hook. 
and you end up in an area of music that is um, that is poor, that is of low quality, um, and that is even perhaps even uh, damaging and destructive to uh, the the faith that we are wanting to uphold and to pass on. Well, uh, we could probably uh, keep going for a little while longer. Um, uh, maybe I'll just. Dad, you have the last word. Is there anything further on this area of music, pop culture, and the church, the reason why we would uh, hold to an older uh, pursuit of holding on to older hymns? Anything you'd like to kind of add, um, and then we'll tee it up. We'll, I think we definitely have to have at least one more yep. conversation on this, because I think there's more things to, to address. I think we covered it. Uh, the, the benefits of sticking with the old hymns uh, in regards to... Um, protecting us from some of the excesses of of the current um, culture that we live in, in particular, as we discussed today, pop culture. Um, I think that that's a, a valuable um, aspect of what we're doing. There's, there are other aspects as well of, um, of, of using the hymns as a, as a way to worship the Lord. Um, and maybe we'll talk about those at uh, another time because there's a number of other benefits as well. Well, why don't you go ahead and, you know, in the media business, Dad, they call them teasers. Why don't you go ahead and just tease? We don't have to explain them all, but uh, can you uh, tease us maybe a little bit with what to expect on the next episode of It's Time for Truth? Well, we've covered some of this, but it connects us with our forefathers. It allows us to have a generational church. Um, we show preference with honor by singing the songs of our parents. And I think that our seniors' preferences shouldn't be discarded uh, um, for our own personal desires for worship. Um, of course, that's self-serving a little bit for me because I'm now I've entered into that senior, uh, but this is something that I've um, had as a... Uh, an idea as a thought for many, many years. Um, and as, as I worked with in the nursing home industry, for example, um, it promotes the godly way to build a church. Uh, it grounds us in sound theology. Not that all hymns are good, but we try to, to, to use those hymns that have stood the test of time and of good theology. It preserves a heritage. And as we mentioned, it uh, uh, protects us from the excess excesses of our current culture. Um, and one more thing, uh, anchoring our church to the past helps us to prevent drifting in the future. And I like what you said, Danny, that it gives you the ability to fight that discontentment. It gives you something to hold on to, to say, you know what, I'm going to be content in this. So yep, and we'll it's say, almost the ability to sacrifice something. Yeah. And we'll say more too. You know, it, it's interesting uh, today, even that when something of true import happens, a tragedy, um, sickness, so forth. It's amazing how I can sing of your love forever is not the, the chosen song right. uh, of, uh, of there's actually, uh, they want to be grounded in, can we sing great is thy faithfulness? Right. Can we sing how great thou art? Can we sing amazing grace? Because w w there, there's another aspect to the hymns and that uh, there's actually uh, a great value for the soul. Comfort. That, and co there's a comfort element there that uh, it turns out a lot of pop doesn't um, provide you with um, with a lot of comfort. Uh, you actually have to... Uh, it's those things that become classic. Those things... Uh, th that's an interesting discussion itself. How does something become classic? How does something become... Stand a test of time? Well, that means there's actual objective Richness. qualities yeah. that actually make it so. Exactly. And so we'll talk a little bit more about that next time, the idea of preferences, the idea of, of recognizing that when um, when you say yes to one song, that means you're saying no to others. And that's an important element of how we uh, we need to recognize that as a church. Uh, we can only sing uh, a certain number of songs. And that when you say yes to some songs, that means another song goes the way of the dodo bird. Um, and so we have to uh, we have to recognize those things, and those are conversations that we want to continue to have. Just one more thing uh, in relationship to what you said about the hook of contemporary music. What is the hook? Well, there might be a hook in terms of words, but one of the hook of modern contemporary music is its style. Um, 
and there that's is not just the words it, it, that's there, the music. there is a style that has is very very popular with very many people um and um i think that uh, it's it's interesting to analyze that style and what's also uh interesting is that if you learn to like it and we do learn to like things that we listen to over and over and over again that it actually it's an interesting phenomena that it uh almost breeds a contempt for um, older melodies and older styles. Hmm. Hmm, that's interesting. Well, looking forward to that conversation. I hope you are as well. But that's all the time we have for Truth Today. We want to thank you for joining us. And until next time, we hope that you will grow in your love and commitment to Christ and His Church. As we are sanctified in the truth, God's Word is truth. Truth.